there are generally two kinds of people in the world. Those that love to incessantly quote movies to other people. And those people who have to put up with those people who like to incessantly quote movies to other people. Today, I'm going to quote some movies to you, and I want you to show me your Christmas movie knowledge, all right? So these are quotes from movie, and you just shout out when you know the movie, all right? So for instance, one of my favorite quotes is, Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building and loan. Wonderful life, right? He's running down the street. Don't you? I love that. You know, it's a place he hated. This is the same one that gives us every time a bell rings, NBC is going off the air, right? Now it's every time an angel uh, bell rings, an angel gets his wings, right? What about this one? This one's a little more obscure. You may not get this. I believe. I believe. I know it's silly, but I believe. Miracle on 34th Street. There we go, Bob Lloyd. Somebody else back there got it, right? That's a good one. What about um, this one? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loudly for all to hear, right? And perhaps the best movie of all for this is one that has one almost from the beginning when it says, it's not going in our yard, Rusty. It's going in our living room. I mean, that movie's just got them all. You know, I'd take a rain check on that, Clark. He's got some sort of lip fungus we hadn't identified yet. That's good, right? That's good comedy stuff, right? If I woke up in the morning with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be any more surprised, right? It's just good stuff. And then there's one from a movie I was thinking about this week where little kids told over and over again, you'll shoot your eye out. All right? We got a picture of a Christmas story. Don't you love Christmas story movie there? Right? Little boy who's imagining Christmas and all he wants for Christmas is Red Rider. Anybody here ever have a Red Rider BB gun? Anybody here get an injury with a Red Rider BB gun? I had one growing up, right? And he keeps being told if you get those, those things were day. I mean, think about this. You were giving gun with ammunition to like a six-year-old and saying, go have fun with it. Some of the best times of my childhood, literally. All right. And so you, you have this story, and there are all kinds of fun things. I mean, a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. I mean, really, what does getting your tongue stuck to a flagpole have to do with Christmas? Or uh, We watched uh, it the other night, and uh, I asked my boys their favorite part after it was over. And their favorite part was the end. You know, when they go to the... I mean, how many of you watched the movie, right? Like on TBS or somewhere? Where, where do they end up for Christmas dinner? Chinese restaurant, right? Because the neighborhood dogs eat all their turkey. And they get to the Chinese restaurant, and instead of a turkey, they get a, a duck, right? And they're looking at it, and the mom can't even contain herself. And the, the dad just says, or as he's referred to in the movie, the old man, he says, it's smiling at me, right? So what does the chef do? Chef's probably a loose term. Chef, he just whacks it off right there on the table, and there you go. You can eat. I was thinking about it the other night because there's a character that I, not, I didn't forget about, but when I watched the other night, I, I thought more, I guess, deeply about it. That's part of, the, part of the problem of being a preacher is you're always having to think deeply about stuff, right? And I thought deeply about this particular character, this guy. Not that guy, that guy. How many of you remember this guy? What's his name? Scott Farkas, right? What was he in the movie? Who is he in the movie? 
He's the bully, right? He's the mean guy. They're walking home, and he just has this sinister smile and laugh. And he's got the, uh, the main character describes him as he has yellow in his eyes. I can see it, right? And he's seething, and he's just always mad. There's even that funny little scene where he and he's got a, an accomplice and bullied him. And as they, they kind of start hitting each other on the arm a little bit, and one finally punches him. And I was thinking about this because at the end, near the end of the movie, um, the main character, like, whips him. And we're not talking about, like, kind of hits him. He, like, beats him up badly. And the sense that you get as you're watching it is, yeah, go, get it, right? You get excited because we have this understanding that we don't like bullies, right? That's not a question you're going to answer yes to, right? Like, no, I love bullies. I think they're awesome, right? In our society, we have this kind of understanding that being a bully is a bad thing. Well, here's why I was thinking about this. Because for most of history, they wouldn't call them bullies, but people that use their power or their strength to accomplish what they needed no matter what it cost other people, weren't thought of in a bad way. They thought that's just the way life was. You see, it's natural that if you're stronger, if you're better, if you have more, if you have more power, it is natural for you to just use it. Now, in America, we have this stream running free where we, we realize that that's not in. In fact, part of the American dream is we believe that anybody ought to be given the opportunity to rise up on their own merits. And so we have this almost underdog feel. America has always been an underdog. We're not anymore, by the way. You get that. We're like, we're, we are the bully now, right? We're the bigger, stronger, richer guy in the room. But for the longest time, we were the underdogs, the nobodies, the people that couldn't do it. Now, we, we love good underdog stories, and we want people to win, but we want people to rise up and accomplish and destroy the bully. And I, I want to tell you where I think that comes from. I think that comes from the stream that comes from our country being founded on the principles of Christ. Because, and I don't mean that in a political way even, the world operated that best... The world operated that might is right, and that if you have the strength, you use it for a long, long, long time. And the one person who starts to, as use an expression my grandparents would use, to upset the apple cart, the one that started to make changes that turn stuff upside down, is Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we started this series on why in the world would he come to our mess. And we talked about the first couple of weeks that he came to communicate and to demonstrate who God is. But today I want to give you the second reason that he came. And the second reason that he came was to elevate the dignity of the individual. Now that's a big phrase and we're going to kind of break that down. And I just want to let you know as we kind of get started today. Usually we take one passage of scripture and we really kind of look at it and break it down. We're not going to do that. We're going to kind of zoom out and take a broad view. Kind of a, an aerial view of Jesus' ministry. And look at how he did exactly this. You see, until Jesus came, especially in the world that Jesus came into, individuals were not considered to have dignity at all unless you were really healthy, really good looking, and had lots of money. In their society, the society to which Jesus comes, people did not treat each other with dignity or with respect. In fact, in their society, there were all kinds of people who had no bearing, no, no way to even talk about issues at all. 
Like, for instance, women. Women were considered objects, property. And I know in our society we still fight against the objectification of women and seeing this as objects. But the truth is, in their day and time, they were seen as property, as just part of the family that weren't considered to be dignified individuals. And so people did not speak to or give credence to or listen to or ask for the advice of or surround themselves with women. Children. Children were considered to be seen only if you have to, never heard, never to have any kind of say at all. They had a whole system of of slavery, and it, it wasn't like the slavery of colonial America. This was just kind of institutionalized work, but there were definite levels. There was the household, and then there was the one that was the common, and then there was the one that worked in the salt mines that was the lowest of the low. But the point was, your goal in life was to be someone that wasn't any of that, and the only way that happened is you were born into it. People didn't have dignity. Individuals weren't thought of highly. And Jesus comes onto the scene and suddenly he starts to treat people differently. In fact, this morning, I just want to look at three ways real quickly that Jesus elevates the dignity of the individual. First way is this. He elevates the dignity of individuals through his teaching. Now, we know a major part of what Jesus did while he was here was he taught. He, we have it recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many of you, I am sure, read one of those Gospels in the last two weeks, right? I'm not getting many head shakes. I'm getting, I think he's talking to you. I think that's through his teaching. And so he teaches a lot. And as he's teaching, he gives these examples that elevate people. For instance, one of our favorite stories, one of the favorite stories that people talk about when they talk about Jesus is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, what's the story of the Good Samaritan? There's a guy walking down. He gets attacked by robbers that said he's beaten half dead, nearly to death. Preacher walks by, doesn't touch him. Music minister walks by, doesn't touch him. And then this Samaritan, who in their day and time was somebody that the people around Jesus would never give a second thought to. They didn't care about. They were half-breeds. They were people that had abandoned God. They were people that had no rights to anything good in life. And Jesus, instead of piling on and talking about that, in his story teaches that the Samaritan is the hero and gives credence to the fact that they are people just like their Jewish Brothers, over in Luke 15, Jesus teaches about this trilogy of lost things. What were the three things that were lost? There was the lost coin, the lost sheep, some of you are kind of coming, and the lost son, right? So you have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, and you have the lost son. And Here's the point of all of those, is that an individual has great worth. The woman ransacks her house to find a coin that really isn't worth anything. This week on Thursday, I couldn't find my keys. Now, I know that y'all are all responsible people that have a certain place you put your keys when you walk in the house and they're always there. How many of you are that kind of person? I don't like you. All right. That is not me. What had happened is my keys had gotten stuck in my coat pocket. You realize when you wear a coat, you have more pockets. In my coat pocket, my coat was not where it had normally been. The keys had fallen out of the coat and were falling, but I could not find them, and I had to drive the girls to school. Susan had already gone. She was substituting. I was at the house by myself with two girls ready to go to their Christmas parties at Mother's Day Out. I had to get to work, and I can't find my keys. I turned over tables. I found two or three remote controls. 
I found some lost toys. Because those keys were valuable to me in that moment. Jesus' point is, each person is valuable. In their day and time, they thought if you were in one of those groups, you were a woman, you were a child, you were a servant, that you didn't have any right to anything good. And if you somehow were sick or had problems, it was because of something you had done. In his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes right out in the very beginning and up ends their thinking and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They would have been like, wait, 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 wait. You, you don't get it, Jesus. We're poor. We're poor in spirit because we've done something bad. We are cursed, not blessed. And Jesus says, no, no. Blessed are you who mourn. Wait a minute. Something bad happened. That's because we did something. We're cursed. We're not blessed. Jesus says, no, you are blessed. There's a story of the widow's mite. If you didn't grow up in church, that may seem like a crazy name to you and you have no clue what that is. I mean, I think of mites now. I think of like bugs. That's not... Does have anything to do with those little bugs crawling around in your bed, all right? This is a story of a widow who comes, and Jesus is there with some people watching people give their offerings. And this one guy makes a big deal. He's given a huge offering. And he makes a big deal about it. He puts it in there. And then this widow comes in, and she gives the smallest amount of money, a penny, basically, that she could, and puts it in the plate. And Jesus says, that woman has just given more than the other man because she gave all that she had. In his teaching, Jesus emphasized the dignity of individuals. But it wasn't just in his teaching, it was in his interactions. And this is where I want us to get kind of a big view as well. It was in the people he interacted with, the way he interacted, what he did, how he lived, what he said to them. So for instance, he has this encounter with a woman at the well. Now if you know that story, what what were the strikes against against this woman? She was... A woman, that's this, I'm talking about back then, not now, all right? She was a woman who was a Samaritan. What else do you have against her? Adultery. What do you mean by that, Miss? You're, you're almost a college graduate. What do you mean by that? Five husbands and living with another guy because who's going to, I mean, I mean, when you've been burned five times, you just decide you're not going to do it again, right? And instead of going out of his way to go around her, instead of doing it, he intentionally sends the disciples away knowing that a moment is coming. And instead of avoiding her, listen to this, he chooses her to be the first evangelist in her town. A woman whose society had said, we are done with you. It wasn't even worth talking about her anymore. She was so far down the ladder, they didn't even have conversations about her. They just went past her without looking. And Jesus says, you're my evangelist for this place. The first person that's going to learn about me and the first person to tell. There's Roman centurions. They didn't believe in fraternizing, having relationships with the Romans, because the Romans were the oppressors. They were the enemies. We want to kick them out. And Jesus instead has conversations and heals people there. Zacchaeus and Matthew, what was their job? Tax collectors. They were the lowest of the low. They were below sinners. And Jesus constantly ministered to them. So much so that when he, as people are trying to talk bad about him, they say, well, he always eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. Children. I mean, today we think children are great. Like we elevate you. I mean, if you want your heartstrings tugged, you get a child up to sing a song. 
Or you put a picture of a child on TV in need and you play some music over it and then you ask for money. Because we love children. Now, some people, we value children, right? I know this not because I have seen how grandparents interact with children. Now, I am not a grandparent, but I know people who are. And my parents, who had no issue whatsoever in using the word no or can't or don't with me, seem to have lost that vocabulary with their grandchildren. Can I get an amen from the parents today? Right? Dad, I really need... You know what I say? Nope. My kids... My kids go to my parents' house. They want to go to Walmart first thing. And it's not because Dyersburg's got a really cool Walmart. You know what it is? Because they know they're going to Walmart. Daddy Jim's going to say, hey, y'all want something? Like we call them, y'all having a good time there? Oh, you're not going to believe what we got. Yeah, I probably do. Do you know how many times I asked my parents for something and they said no? I've never seen it with my grandchildren, with their grandchildren. We value kids. In their day and time, they didn't want them around. In fact, there's that story in the New Testament when the disciples are like, tell the children to get away. Jesus, you want me to take these children away? He always go, what heartless people those disciples are. That was normal in their society. Jesus is the one that upended all that and said children are precious. People didn't even name their kids for years sometimes because they were worried. <laughs> they were afraid they were going to die. Or they had to decide if they wanted them. Some of you kids are like, I am glad that is not in place today. (laughs) Children, and Jesus says, let them come to me. I mean, you look at the people he healed. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He healed a mother-in-law. I'll let that sink in for a little bit. Some of you don't want to laugh. In their day and age, if you were physically sick at all, people thought you had something wrong with you. You had sinned. Remember last week we talked about that. And Jesus never worried about touching them, interacting with them, speaking to them. He, he did that with people that the society considered mentally sick. Now, he, he got demons out of them, but people thought they were mentally ill. And there's even that point where he is on the cross and he is about to die. And there is a convict who is guilty, admits it. We deserve what we're getting here. And Jesus has a conversation with him and says... Today you'll be with me in paradise. Here's what I want you to understand. Every one of those people, like today, we think, oh, it's good to take care of the sick. It's good to take care of the, it's good to go to the prisons. It's it's good to help out with children. In their day and time, nobody would have said that. Jesus comes and says, no, these people are individuals. And they have dignity. Here's the last way, and this is the ultimate way. Jesus elevates the dignity of the individual through his death. I said a couple of weeks ago, we would get to the main reason Jesus came, why in the world he came to be one of us, to live among us, to be part of us, to live on this earth. And here it is. He came to die for us. And here's what we learn from his death. And here's what we learn from Scripture is he died for us. And the word us there doesn't mean me and you. The word us there means everyone who has ever lived on the face of this earth. He lived and died for us. There's a passage of Scripture in Romans. We're going to put this up on the screen. 
Romans 5, 7, I love this. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. It means that rarely will you even worry about a righteous person. Though perhaps, perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason Christ came, the reason that he came into our world was ultimately to show the value that we have in us. But here's where our value lies. It lies nothing in what we have done. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how smart you are, how much money you have, where you were born, who your family is, where you live. None of that. It has everything to do with the value Christ has placed upon us that we did not deserve. See, his death on the cross says that we're all the same. We're all in need of justification. We're all in need of righteousness, and the only way that we can get it is through him. And so if we all are in desperate need of it, we're all on a level playing field, and there is no one in this world who is better or worse than anybody else. And if I ask you, did Christ die for everyone, you would like, yeah, absolutely, I believe that, but we don't always live like that, and we don't treat people that way. You see, because if we are believers in Jesus Christ, and if we believe that Jesus shows us what the Father is like, and if in return we believe that we ought to live in the way that Jesus showed us to live, then the way that we ought to live is to live in giving dignity to the individual people who are part of this planet, whether we like them or not, whether they are part of us or not, whether they are people that we would normally give attention to or not, everyone is someone for whom Jesus died. And we all have this tendency to have those people that we don't like to live that out. So some people don't like smart people and some people don't like people that aren't very smart. Some people don't like people with degrees and some people don't like people that just don't try to go to school. Some people don't like rich people and some people don't like people that can't get it together and some people don't like people that act like they've got it together when nobody really believes that they've got it together and some people don't like black people and some people don't like white people and some people don't like brown people and some people don't like people that weren't born in this country and some people like some people that were born in this country but not all people that were born in this country and some people watch the news at night and they don't like people protesting because why are they protesting and some people watch the news and say I can't believe that some people don't like the fact that they're protesting I believe I'm better because I like the fact that they're protesting and have that right and some people just don't like anybody and the point is we're all the same And everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. And what Christians ought to be known for more than anything else is giving dignity to individuals and treating them with respect in a way that shows the glory of the Father who loves us. And some of you are Christians. And you know that's not always the case. Listen, I know it's not always the case. You know how I know that? Because I read your Facebook statuses. And any time, let me just say, any time you start using phrases like those people, you're in danger of going somewhere God never intended you to go. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, I mean, I heard someone say it this way. I got a writer named Phil Yancey. He said, for us, we, we see this earth and we see the, the valleys and the mountains and the hills and the trenches. And we, we see that there is great diversity among the earth. I mean, even in my neighborhood, if you get out and try to run, you realize that there are hills everywhere. And you you see that there are uh, elevation changes all around. And he says, we see that. He says, but if you get out into space and you look at the earth, 
It looks like a flat crystal marble. He said, on this earth, we sometimes think we see elevations in righteousness and trenches in depravity. But from God's holy view, all he sees is people that are all the same. And everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Part of the reason Jesus came to this earth is to elevate the dignity of individuals. And for you, that may mean a couple of things. First of all, if you're here today and you're one of those people that has been made to feel as if you're not worth anything, maybe a parent made you feel that way, maybe friends have made you feel that way, maybe enemies or bullies or people around you have made you feel that way, maybe a boss has made you feel that way, maybe in inappropriate ways, here's what I want you to know. The message of Christmas is that every individual has dignity and worth because of what Christ has done for you. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you realize, maybe even as we talk today, as I mentioned groups, people's names or groups of people came to mind, and you realize that there is hatred or there is mistrust or there is this, you don't necessarily say it this way, but almost sense of of superiority to a group, that you're better than them. And there's a good old-fashioned church word that comes up when we begin to think for some reason that we are better than someone else. And I was going to say this earlier. When you look at the New Testament, the people that Jesus got fired up about the most were the self-righteous people who thought they had it figured out. And when we begin to think that we've got it all figured out or we're better because of what's happened to us, we fall into that same category. And there's a good old-fashioned church word that you need to do when that happens, and it is simply repent. Maybe for you during this Christmas season, you need to think of someone that you need to go to, that you need to to minister to, that you need to talk to, that you need to have conversations with, that you need to begin to treat differently because of the dignity they have as a child of God. Maybe they're not even a believer yet. Maybe they haven't given their life to Jesus, but perhaps you are the conduit, the one that is to treat them in a way that makes them curious about our God. Everybody is somebody for whom Jesus died. Today is also a special day in the life of the church, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, and in just a moment we're going to have a response time. And if there's any reason you want to come, I'll be standing, and I'll be off to the side today because we're going to have something else right here in the middle. But if there's a reason you need to respond, I'm going to ask you to find me, to come and come and find me. But today is also a day of extravagant giving, and we have some food out there, and that's to help people that are in need. We don't in any way suggest that we're better because we can give food. We're just saying that we understand that the people are in need. And so that's out there. And in just a moment, after, uh, after I pray, we're going to have a manger sitting down here on the front. And I'm going to ask you to come. Some of you have come prepared. If you're a guest and don't anything about this, don't feel obligated or worry about this. But I'll tell you that we're going to take an offering. Um, it'll be our first offering of the day. Don't you love it when they say that? The first offering of the day and this is specifically the offering for extravagant giving sunday this isn't your tithes and offering this isn't your regular gift to the church we'll do that later this is specifically for extravagant giving sunday and here's what this is 
100% of what comes in for this is going out of here. It's going to local partners. Our missions committee is going to decide about it. It's going to international missions. 100%. I don't have any problem asking you to give generously to this because none of it is staying here. And so we're going to have the manger symbolizing the gift that God gave of extravagance. The extravagant giving of God and His Son in the form of a child is going to be down here. And you can just come and put your your offering for the extravagant giving offering in that. That's part of our response time today. And I just want you to give in a way that shows a heart of joy for what God's done. We'll give our tithes and offering as we leave like we normally do after we sing and after we worship. But today, I want you to focus on yourself and how you treat people and how you view them. And just ask whether you're following the example of Jesus giving dignity to others. And then I have a homework assignment for you. And all of God's people said, that's not what you're saying, but that's all right. I want you to read a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I'll let you choose. If you've already read one and you want to reread it or you want to try a different one, that's good. If you haven't read one, this is the third week in a row. You've got a fresh opportunity to do it. This time I want you to read it like this. I want you to look for examples where God in Jesus elevates the dignity of individuals. All right? Let's pray.